Hello, hello and welcome on The Berry Case. This is a podcast produced by Eastern European journalists and academics where we take a critical perspective on events taking place in Eastern Europe, Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, Hungary, and maybe Ukraine. We discuss things, as I told you, from a critical perspective, and we sincerely hope you would enjoy the conversation. I am your host, Maria Cernat, and with me, as usual, the co-host of our show, the Bulgarian-born Polish journalist, Boyan Stanislavski. Thank you for being with us. Hi, thanks. It's great to be here. And today we are going to discuss a hot topic, feminism and feminism in Eastern Europe. And we are going to do that with Ursula Kaczynska and her very pretty dog. (laughs) So hello, Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I I hope Todo is going to, you know, have some interesting insights as well. (laughs) Okay, so let us uh, discuss a little bit uh, uh, on the basis, uh, the basic elements related to feminism. Maybe uh, people, when they hear about feminism, they tend to frown and say, oh, this is just another debate. I don't care about it. Why do you think, uh, Ursula, that feminism is not very popular in our part of the world? Or maybe it is in Poland, I don't know. Uh, well, the situation is very, I would say, complicated in Poland, but it's true. Like, as an idea, uh, it's uh, it's not popular in our part of Europe. And uh, I, would, um, uh, I would attempt at a suggestion that it's simply what's uh, mainstream feminism today uh, is not really relevant to the realities that Eastern European women uh, live live in every day uh, and very let's say combative approaches and very individualistic approaches that are uh, connected in our heads with mainstream feminism these days um, they just don't reflect on the reality uh, of <clears throat> of eastern european mentality as such um, and you know and, and the material reality we live through um, and uh, I, I would uh, I would go into something that's very, I would say, um, uh, like the most uh, uh, like the most suggestive and like the most obvious obvious point right now. Like feminism had its big moment here in Poland in 2016, and then in 2020, after uh, you know the. <clears throat> political circles, the politicians of the right who are in power right now um, and people, uh, you know, connected with the Catholic Church that has been driving the anti-abortion, the abortion ban in Poland for the last three decades. Well, uh, they actually succeeded in doing so. Right. And feminism had its uh, great moment in 2016 with the black protests when the uh, women all over the country mobilized and succeeded in actually cutting short the attempt to introduce the uh, abortion ban. Um, But four years later, you know, the 
the traditionalists, the conservatives, the Catholic side, let's say, they used another tactics actually to, uh, you know, to, to achieve their objective and their goal. And there was another outburst, another outburst of like social and popular and women's anger. Um, but, you know, a year on, there is not much left from this mobilization and from this anger. And this is actually a very interesting story that we, that we can, you know, that we can try to um, concentrate and focus on. But this is also very, I would say, uh, it's a great diagnostic, not only for Poland, but for Eastern Europe as such, where yes, the feminism has a very different story than in the West. Yes, I've been meaning to, to ask you. Um, mm -hmm. Do you see connections between Western feminism and how it developed there and what is happening in our countries? Well, are there so to say, brands of feminism that were uh, adopted in our countries? How do you see the situation, at least in Poland right now? Uh you know, um, I would say that in Poland, like we are culturally what's happening in feminism, like the mainstream feminism in the mainstream media and with the liberal like general public is I would say it's very much uh, attached and colonized by the thinking that's drawn directly from the US from the West. Uh, but it's not taking into account uh, you know, the vast majority of people who are of a different mindset and who live differently and who, let's say, on everyday basis function according to a very different philosophy. And this is exactly what happened with feminism here, because uh, the feminism we are talking about right now is very individualistic, I would say, even if it's uh, <clears throat> even if it's uh, if it's got a lot of slogans about sisterhood, even if it's got a lot of slogans about uh, uh, about community and about social justice. Um, but it only speaks about a handful of people and it speaks to a handful of people. Um, I would, uh, there was uh, an opinion poll actually like done in Poland in 2018, as far as I can remember. So which is a time when feminism <clears throat> in Poland like noted its great success of the black protest mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in 2016, but before it noted its failure in 2020. And at that time, uh, only 5% of women would, you know, describe themselves as feminists. Oh, well, but that begs a question awesome. here. That, that, was, if I could just, again, that begs mm -hmm. question whether uh, this is a correct description. I mean, was this, I, I remember 2016 very vividly, and this really was a, a huge protest and a huge mobilization, uh, absolutely, uh, by, by uh, in, many, in many respects, absolutely unheard of, uh, in a sense that you would get mobilized, uh, you would get people, uh, particularly women or young women, girls, mobilized in the province, in, in villages, in towns uh, that have never in their history have uh, that have never in their history seen any demonstration whatsoever. So that was that was really something absolutely massive and, and outstanding. Uh, but I, I doubt uh, whether it is correct to describe it as a success or a momentum for Polish feminism. Uh, I, 
I, I, I favor the idea of them and so forth. And as much as I appreciate those mobilizations, I'm just not sure whether it's to say that the, this was a successful or those. Uh, this is a very, a very valid point, uh, Boyan. So thank you for that. And I feel like we are actually uh, talking about exactly the same thing, uh, just from uh, you know different perspectives. I'm just using feminism here uh, in a much broader sense, not uh, not in the sense of organizations, etc. But 2016 was an empowering moment when a lot of could have happened and a lot of could have grown out of it. But as we could see, uh, it didn't really materialize. So all those, all that popular energy did not translate into structures, did not translate into cooperation, did not translate much into like grassroots works. It all stopped at the level of social media and popularity and voicing your opinions, you know, so. Um, Mm -hmm. Why exactly? Well, I can um, say that why because usually it is very difficult to transform organizations that are there to compete for money, you know, and to gain funds and to gain money by competing, you know, for it. And then you expect them to come in solidarity and build social movements. When you have this type of capitalistic activist managerial, you know, class of people, you would find individuals, at least this is my perspective, that would use feminism to build a personal, you know, agenda and to gain money and popularity for themselves, not to invest themselves and fight for a cause. And it is also a systemic problem. You cannot expect feminisms, feminists to be heroes while the whole system, you know, it's built in such a way as to lure them into this type of activist competition.
you know i have a feminist organization i want to do good for the people here in my village for women who are suffering from domestic violence then i have to compete with other organizations to get money and then you know we have to come together as sisters something is off here don't you think Yes, Maria, and uh, thank you for saying that. And like what happened in Poland happened in reverse, but illustrates exactly your point, you know, because after 2016, we saw a lot of attempts at, um, uh, at you know, at capitalizing the social capital actually uh that the movement that the black protests gained like one of the biggest let's say uh, uh you know scandals in the feminist circles was that uh, like the biggest fan page Jevuche Jevuchom, girls for girls that was set up in a spur of the moment and over four days gathered like uh, 200,000 women and men, uh, you know, voicing their anger and cooperating, you know, in a grassroots, on a grassroots level to organize protests and do things together, etc., etc. But then it turned out that, you know, the girls who actually founded the fan page wanted to uh, turn it into a foundation and a commercial enterprise to sell T-shirts, uh, you know, to sell uh, caps and they tried to trademark the logo, yeah? And even the name oh. of Girls for Girls. Uh <laughs> okay, so we transformed Che Guevara into a logo and then this is how capitalism actually swallows everything. It is so hard because it is so insidious. Probably, and I don't think they, they just woke up one morning, maybe you will correct me on this one. I don't think that feminists, and these girls in particular just woke up saying, oh, I want to do today a bad thing. I want to use this and I want to transform it into a trademark and a commercial. And I want to commodify feminism. It didn't go like this. Capitalism has this insidious way of, of attracting us into all sorts of traps that we are not even aware of. And we don't have the political culture and enough debates like the one we have now to make people realize how bad this thing is. Because also we have in Romania, for instance, some Roma feminists that started to, to have their own brand of clothing and to sell uh, Roma clothing, you know, that ethnic uh, colored and whatever um, garments that uh, most of uh, Roma people use, traditional ones. And it is so, you know, insidious because I don't think that they are intentionally wanting to destroy things and to do bad things, but they don't even realize that this is perverse, insidious, and very dangerous for the movement. Uh, exactly. And we see that happening on so many, so many levels that we don't even notice, you know, like the commodification of feminism. It's not that the girls here in Warsaw, you know, invented it, like you said. It's been happening uh, all over the place. Yeah. It's also, let's say, a fashion or rather a, a social, I would say, mindset that's been with us for years as simple as that, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, within the system that we live in, it all boils down to uh, whether you can pay your bills, uh, yeah, and keep your house and uh, food on uh, on the table uh, or not, right? 
Exactly. You know what the problem here is, Boyan? You know what the problem here is? Mm -hmm. Okay, you know what the problem is? We have the mental reflex of understanding that if you collaborate with the church, it's a bad thing. You understand that those people are the enemies. But, but and this is the problem, no, especially in Romania. Feminists know that, uh, you know, the church is something and the, the priests are not people you can collaborate with. I mean, in Romania, almost they have this type of uh, reflex that is sometimes even irrational, you know. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to corporations, they don't see it like this, unfortunately. And this is where we come in. Of course, we can put the blame on them and they are responsible. Okay, they are responsible because they, are, they should be leader. They should know better. But at the same time, we have to have these conversations and to say that it is equally bad to collaborate with corporations, to collaborate and to transform a protest into a commercial enterprise. And it is just as bad as you t if you transformed it into a church. But people don't think of it.
And uh, I agree with you completely. I would simply say that we are circling around the story of hijacking, you know, the the movement for commercial purposes because it was very symptomatic. They were not allowed to do that because there was a massive outcry. It was a massive scandal. The organization split, etc., etc. But the fan page remained. And uh, what remained was the mindset of those aspiring leaders. Right. And so the first that move that they made at the very beginning to commodify the movement that they were a part of, that they helped to actually boost uh, and uh, <clears throat> and make and make it prominent, like on a social on a social level, uh, it was just the first step. And then what happened was the logical chain of events, because you cannot escape <clears throat> your own mindset. You know what I'm saying? If your first step is uh, to uh, find funding and gain funds by commodifying feminism, then the next things you do are exactly following the same logics. So you're so you're pushing for what corporations uh, these days are okay with, which is identity politics. Right. Because, you know, the topics that Boyan mentioned was sex work was about sex work, empowering and introducing legal, uh, you know, legal uh, and allowing actually um, um, like I will simply use, you know, the correct word like pips to be treated as, you know, restaurant managers, etc., etc. It all follows the same logics. Right. So I would say that the wider question is who becomes the leaders in our days, who are the people that by the mechanisms of social media and social mechanisms, not only social media, but, you know, media in general as well, uh, what kind of people are promoted as leaders and as aspiring leaders? Because, you know, what happened next, like you said, Boyan, I, I don't see it as separate from what happened at the very beginning. I see it as a logical continuation and it's a continuation of absolutely absurd and nonsensical radicalization simply puts people off as simple you know as simple as that because yes, talking about is... the same people <clears throat> and talking about the same uh, group of people actually like uh it was only it, it was this week actually that in a country where you know an abortion ban has just been introduced they are actually pitting the public like the general public against the doctors who are not pro-choice enough oh you know and that's that's the uh... <laughs> <laughs> they are resourceful.
but you're a sharp observer. Go ahead. or they can aspire to that you know they can be poor but they can aspire to that moment you know it's mm -hmm. like the slave who doesn't want slavery to be ended but th they want to become the slave owner you know they want to become you know that uh, thing that uh, that's a very yeah, the american dream for, you know the american dream yes. is a very big discussion in feminism and the manifesto of the 99 percent was published i mean in feminism we had this conversation and there is this this, you know, glass ceiling, the idea that if you want to become a manager, there are all sorts of informal elements keeping you down, and that is called the glass ceiling. And the feminist said, look, I don't want to break any glass ceiling if the poor women are going to come after me and clean up the mess, okay? I don't want to advance if not if other women are not advancing, I don't want to share equal shares of inequality and I don't want to rule an unjust world side by side with men and exploit others. There is a very powerful uh, uh, tendency in, in feminism these days. And I'm curious if that picked up, you know, a momentum in Poland or not. Uh, it did, but only on the narrative, on the level of the narrative. You know, uh, it doesn't translate into uh, in, in, into practice and it doesn't translate into the image that feminism still has in the eyes of the general public, like Boyan, like Boyan said, like the uh, general image of a feminist is uh, in Poland. And I would say it's a wider problem. I would simply say that it's the problem of Central and Eastern Europe is 1990s. It's it's directly from the 1990s, you know, and it's uh, directly what we see happening in the American politics, uh, where, you know, Kamala Harris being the vice president is seen as the epitome of, uh, you know, equality, uh, which it's not, you know. Uh, yes, she's actually. just ruling, they just put, you know, I have this type of spice feminism, you just, in an unjust system, you just,
just add women and steer and you solve the problem you know because we have you have a woman there you put her there and then and this is also what albena asmanova actually talked about the paradoxes of emancipation because when you have this type of feminism you know boy and what happens i mean you want to be included in an unjust system and for you it may be good but you are legitimizing the system, you know, because you provide more legitimacy when you go there. And this is why I, I was curious if in Poland you have organizations that probably are aiming to, you know, provide a critique of this type of feminism. Uh, yes, uh, I would say that the critical movement is only <clears throat> is only just beginning. And uh, like me and a few friends of mine, uh, we um, we founded an organization. It's it's pretty new. We are still at the stage of organizing, but we have been uh, very critical about what's happening on the wider scene, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, because I am going to say something very maybe unpopular or something that's going to be uh, controversial, etc. But uh, what I see as a, as a way forward uh, and my friends uh, whom, uh, uh, whom I cooperate with uh, agree with the stance is that we need to take kind of a sack like, and do what you just said. Maria, instead of trying to promote like individual achievements and trying to screw the system in your favor, because that's actually what neoliberal feminism is trying to do, screw the system in your favor. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, I, we need to take a step back and maybe try to, um, you know, take a more critical perspective on why we got so divorced from like a wider mindset of uh, of women <clears throat> and maybe they do have a, you know a valid point maybe it is a time to realize that capitalism and church you know are just the two sides of the same coin and the same enemy as simple as that maybe it's time to have a look and a, a serious conversation with conservative women who are very well organized and who hold very interesting and critical discussions, you know, within church, but also outside of church, you know, as conservatives, not Catholic, uh, you know, because they, we share, uh, like, uh, we share a lot of, like, critical points with them, including the critical points of how the feminist narrative in the mainstream has led us to a completely dead end. Yes, this is very interesting, and I, I. Okay, please ask. I think this is the last one for this uh, segment, and then in the second segment we will discuss more also about your uh, uh, on your personal story and what happened. Yeah. 
treatment, yeah. We are so, you know, we, we are so, you know, at the beginning of having our own voices and of developing our own critical perspective and agenda that we are, you know, establishing the ground rules and trying to, as Ursula said, some sort of um, ideological stance. Then how do you communicate that? That is uh, uh, one, you know, one step at a time, I would say. I don't know. Well, yes, one step at a time. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I always have a problem with, uh, you know, saying that feminism is uh, relatively young, etc., etc. We don't have time. Uh, we are living at a times of a very, very serious backlash. And uh, either we are going to do something about it, or we are going to to actually see all the achievements of the last 120 years go in reverse. So either we do sit down and, you know, those little kernels of critical thinking that we do have um, uh, start doing things and actually make peace with something that is obvious, but uh, very difficult to, let's say, test and absorb. Social media does not, especially in our part of the world, does not translate into efficiency. And public popularity does not translate into anything other than public popularity. So what that the majority of people is in favor of legalizing abortion in Poland if, if you have, uh, you know, uh, other people who operate much more effectively and much more efficiently outside of social media platforms and are using the proper democratic, let's say, tools in order to push and forward their agenda. So then, so what that one progressive narrative is, you know, let's say, uh, winning on a popular level, if actually the reality of things 
things is going, you know, around. Um, and I, I think that, you know, uh, we are working and we are talking about like, let's say an intersection of so many different aspects and so many different layers of social problems here, because we are also here dealing with the limitations of social media algorithms, corporations controlling the communications, et cetera, et cetera, and the crisis of democratic institutions. And, um, you know, so there is a lot of aspects and a lot of layers that have to be taken uh, into account and accounted for when thinking about that. But this is something that really is, you know, from the Polish perspective, so striking that so what that you have all this movement on your facebook so what that you have all those followers on instagram so what that you have vivid discussions there if you know the material reality is drifting further and further away from you because you're spending your time and you're wasting your energy on social media or designed to do just that and you are working actually against yourself, you know, uh, on this very practical, material, legal, you know, and and social, also social level. So yes, I would I say think... that being slaves, you know, to social media popularity is one of the things keeping us back. Honestly. Wow, that is a very powerful conclusion for the first segment of our discussion. I like very much what you said. Thank you so much, Ursula, for sharing these thoughts uh, with us. I hope our viewers find it interesting. I think it's for the first time also in Eastern Europe that we try to develop a feminism of our own, not imported from the West, and we try to rediscover our own brand of feminism, so to speak, and not to rely heavily on the patterns and ideals that are being exported here from the USA and other parts of the world. So thank you, Boyan, for your insightful uh, observation. Thank you, Ursula. We'll see each other in the next segment where we will get a little bit more personal and we will discuss uh, about your trajectory as a feminist in Poland. Thanks so much. Thank you very much.